Hello. Bonjour. Ciao. Hey, bitch. This is the art of the matter. For more information or to download our podcast and nude charity calendar, please visit www.cambridgecomedy.blogspot.com. That's www.cambridgecomedy.blogspot.com. Fresh from the piping hot controversy caused by our last episode, a documentary on the moral retardation of Cambridge drinking societies, I've decided to play it safe this week and not offend a single soul by offering up a feature-length special on the idiocy and inadequacy of the Cambridge footlights. Should be a smooth ride. I hope you like it. I only make it for your enjoyment. This is the story of the Cambridge comedy troupe which changed the world. Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Hello, miss. What do you mean, miss? I'm sorry, I have a call. I wish to make a complaint. <laughs> sorry, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about this parrot that I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. Oh, yes, the Norwegian blue. What's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. <laughs> Theatre and the dramatic arts have always been popular at Cambridge, but they have not always been successful. For hundreds of years, the university's drama circuit was an oppressive, threatening environment for potential students. All plays and performances were hyper-serious, intense tragedies, and comedy was virtually unheard of. In the year of our Lord, 1500, a mere 2,000 years after the university's formation, the entire cast of a fledgling production of Much Ado About Nothing were arrested for treason and the representation of popular culture. Everything we now consider indispensable to university drama was frowned upon by the powers that be. From pastry-based slapstick, through homosexual innuendo and comedy, sexism and racism, all outlawed because of stifling social conventions. But ye olde political correctness gone mad did not stop there. A visionary 1700 production of Othello, where the main character was being portrayed by a dog, was banned and taken off stage after a shortened run of three weeks. This tragic lack of free speech needed breaking, and it would take a group of comedic visionaries to do it. In the month of June, in the year of our Lord, 1883, 30 undergrads from Trinity College, tired of the pove-based pretension offered by the university's amateur dramatic club, stepped up to the task and founded the Cambridge Footlights. After several weeks of furious brainstorming and backslapping, the first ever Footlights Review opened. The public was stunned, and the impact of these visionary sketches echoes throughout the history of student tomfoolery. The best-received sketch was surely the now-legendary Women Today, where, in a cunning satire on contemporary moors, the all-male company physically abused a long line of female servants. Conventions had been shattered, free speech was born, and all medical expenses were subsidised. Footlights had arrived. Having liberated Cambridge, this extraordinary company began to set its sights on the larger world. The Women Today sketch went on tour, helping the suffragette movement by abusing, and therefore liberating, young women all over the country. 1914, which my researchers tell me was the first year of the Great War, saw the debut of the epic series of vignettes, Burn in German, where members of the German advanced guard were set on fire before appreciative London crowds. These brave men, and the women who performed menial tasks for them, understood that it was comedy which would bring the university into the 20th century. 
They were changing the world, and it seemed nothing could stop them. Slowly but surely, this brave and noble group of comedic visionaries became a catalyst for the advancement of mankind. This trend continued into the 20th century. Every time a member of the Footlights stepped onto the hallowed ADC stage, they targeted the imperfections and inadequacies of those around them. Peter Cook, a veteran Footlighter, remains, ten years after his death, the company's leading exponent of comedic Marxist analysis. This clip, taken from his superbly crafted monologue, The Miner, is a textbook example. The neuroses and angst of the common man and the relation between literature and the working classes are probed exquisitely. I've written a book about my experiences down the mine, written a book based on the experiences I've had down the mine. It's called My Experiences Down the Mine. It's a wonderful story. It's the story of a man who goes down the mine. And he sees a lump of coal quite near him. Aha, he says, the very thing I'm looking for. And he bends down and picks it up. And he lifts it up to about his stomach level. And then he shoves it away into a trolley. And the trolley wheels away down a long dark tunnel and he never sees it again. <laughs> That's a story. It's very short, but it is extremely boring. <laughs> I, uh, I took it along to a publisher and he agreed with me. He said, said, this story is extremely boring. This is the most boring story that has ever been written in the whole history of the universe. And he's not a man who's given to superlatives. So. Cook takes us under the blanket of comedy and shows us the very soul of the common man. As the miner considers his own mortality, his plaintive song becomes etched into the listener's soul. It is a short story, but it is extremely boring. Dear reader, I am not embarrassed to say that upon first contact with those immortal words, a tear came into my eye. Some of the company's members turned their gaze to the future, mapping a hilarious pathway through the years to come. In his comic saga, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, sci-fi author Douglas Adams created a fictional volume which foreshadowed Wikipedia, demonstrating a skill for prophecy which makes Nostradamus look like Mr. Magoo. This is the story of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Perhaps the most remarkable, certainly the most successful book ever to come out of the great publishing corporations of Ursa Minor. More popular than the Celestial Home Care Omnibus, better selling than 53 More Things to Do in Zero Gravity, and more controversial than Ulan Kalufid's trilogy of philosophical blockbusters, Where God Went Wrong, Some More of God's Greatest Mistakes, and who is this God person anyway? And in many of the more relaxed civilizations on the outer eastern rim of the galaxy, the Hitchhiker's Guide 
has already supplanted the great Encyclopedia Galactica as the standard repository of all knowledge and wisdom, because although it has many omissions, contains much that is apocryphal, or at least wildly inaccurate, it scores over the older, more pedestrian work in two important ways. First, it is slightly cheaper, and second, it has the words Don't Panic inscribed in large, friendly letters on the cover. This excerpt predates the astonishing rise of Wikipedia by 30 years. Yet Adam tells us of a fictional guide conceived of and written by an army of godless ape descendants and sodomites which has supplanted encyclopedias as the standard suppository of all knowledge and wisdom, even though it contains much which is wildly inaccurate. This is the very definition of Wikipedia! The author preempts the Caliban culture by pondering the modern role of knowledge and whether its movements can be dictated by the general public. Adams and Cook were not the only geniuses brought through the Footlights comedy training regime in the 1960s and 70s. This enigmatic epoch also saw the birth of Michael Palin, John Clee, Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Rowan Atkinson and Trevor MacDonald. Glorious artists doing fabulous work and, crucially, using comedy as a means to social expression. But I'm sad to say that in the last few decades the well of comedic talent has dried up and the company's present day portfolio lacks the comedic giants of yesteryear. If one clicks onto the hilariously misspelled www.cambridgefitloots.com one can peruse a list of the Honourable Society's recent alumni. Dear friends, it is slim picking. Top of the list comes one Lucy Montgomery star of the BBC Three sketch show Titty Titty Bang Bang. <sighs> Lucy Montgomery? Titty Titty Bang Bang? I haven't even seen that show and I know it stinks! Second on the list comes Richard Adiadia from the It Crowd. The It Crowd? The shit crowd, more like. The devoid of wit crowd, more like. The I'll stick a carving knife in my own throat if I have to watch another minute of it crowd. What is worse, these talentless half-wits do not even possess the pride, nay, the basic decency, to show off about their roots. If one asks Mr. Adiadia about his big-breaking comedy, he'll simply mutter something non-committal about childhood appearances in the annual Norwich Panto. Doesn't he understand it is Footlight's tradition to show off about one's roots? Which brings me on to the latest bunch of... And I do not use this word lightly. The latest bunch of ragamuffins to disgrace the history of this brave and noble organisation. In the Michaelmas term, I parted with a hard-loaned £3 to see the current ensemble in action in their much-praised review show, Devils. I took my place in the theatre, ready to feel the renowned collective open my eyes to new vistas of spirituality and social change. Unbeknownst to the ADC's crack team of ushers, I snuck a dictaphone into the performance with me and taped several minutes of the opening sketch, a monologue riffing on the intricacies of college matriculation delivered by the company's rising starlet, Amy Hogarth.
sketch, grossly underwritten as it was, was the highlight of the evening. The next items were primarily given over to slapstick, mime and toilet humour. One vignette was simply a long succession of horse puns. That one galloped away with itself. Never once did these young performers turn their attention to social or political commentary, despite the fact that all this took place in the run-up to the American elections. Do these guys have their heads in the sand? Oh yeah, and another thing. Darren Johnson and Peter Riley. For God's sake, just kiss already. It's clear you want to, and the whole sexual tension angle is getting really old really fast. I have a message for everyone involved in this travesty. I want you all to step up close to the wireless so you can hear. Have you done it? Okay, listen up. Stop it. I'll say it again. Stop it. Stop the hijinks, stop the shenanigans, stop the tomfoolery and knuckle down. You're spending the best years of your life making people laugh, grow up and strap on a pair. Comedy isn't about enjoyment, it's about the grind. And you will all continue to sully the good name of the footlights until you realise this and up your work ethic accordingly. A joke doesn't work unless your palms are bleeding by the end of it. An audience will never appreciate you until you make them feel mentally, cognitively exhausted. Comedy is business, not pleasure, and you have a social responsibility to reflect the world around you. It's called toilet humour for a reason. You have to toil at it. What an action-packed 15 minutes that was, crammed with gratuitous insults, unnecessary slanders and half-baked nonsensities. It's my heartfelt disappointment to inform you that, due to unavoidable medical commitments, the art of the matter is going to take next week off, so there will be no show or podcast until Wednesday the 18th of February. We sincerely hope that you can make the most of this time by bettering yourself morally, intellectually or sexually. Keep clicking onto the website www.cambridgecomedy.blogspot.com That's www.cambridgecomedy.blogspot.com and enjoying the interesting collection of scrap metal and tidbits there gathered. Arrivederci. <laughs>